Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline, and today's episode is called Harry Podcast and Snape's Grudge. So first, we just want to start off by saying we're sorry for the delay. We know it's been a while. Um, Right now, we're dealing with all the, you know, global pandemic situation, as everyone is. We hope all our listeners are staying healthy and safe at home. And we will now be trying to get back into our regular um, every other week schedule Mm -hmm. with the show. So thank you so much. And we also want to say a big thank you because this is our 50th episode. Woo! Woo. Cheers to that. Cheers. So a um, little bit of a celebration episode and like, you know, sorry for being late in the middle of this global pandemic, but we hope to give you some quality content that you can listen to while you're all bunkered down um, thinking about Harry Potter in a new literary perspective way. So with that, let's get into our synopsis of the chapter. Okay, so everybody stays awake all night. The Gryffindor team, they've just won. They're really excited. Um, at dawn, McGonagall comes in to the common room and tells them that Sirius Black has escaped again. Right, because this is right after Sir- they found Sirius Black had broken in and, and almost mm-hmm. attacked Ron with a knife. So then everybody stays up all night in the common room, um, and McGonagall comes back and says that he escaped again. Um, then the next day, they, they rehired the fat lady and fire Sir Cadogan. Ron is kind of a big celebrity because of his whole situation that happened with him and harry wonders to like to himself kind of why black didn't just kill everybody um when he came in he's like well it didn't bother him last time to just blow apart half the street so like why did he care now so that's something we'll touch on and then might be a clue neville gets a howler from his grandmother because of his him being blamed for writing the list of passwords and yeah and i love that scene because it's Harry and Ron are just like, run for it, Neville. Yeah. <laughs> they like know exactly know what what's going like. to happen. And we'll talk about that too um, and how it's a little bit unfair. So Harry and Ron get invited to Hagrid's, just the two of them. And they don't, they think that probably he's going to talk about this whole situation, but he actually just wants to talk about Hermione and how they really need to make things up with her and be a good friend because she's clearly missing them and having a hard time. That's a wonderful parenting moment from Hagrid. Um, and then Harry and Ron agree to go to Hogsmeade under the invisibility cloak in spite of Hermione saying that she's going to turn them in if they do that again. Um, then Harry has a close call with Neville and Snape just before going to Hogsmeade. Yes. Yeah, so then um, Harry and Ron visit the Shrieking Shack um, and there's a scene where Malfoy um, and et cetera, his goons kind of come up and... <laughs> Taunt Ron and Harry ends up throwing mud at Malfoy out of the cloak. It's really funny. But then he trips over the cloak during this and is exposed briefly. Yeah, just his head. Um, So Harry dashes back toward uh, Hogwarts, leaves his cloak um, in the passageway. And then as soon as he comes out of the passage, he has to explain himself to Snape, who just entered the room. Um, And so Snape uh, immediately suspects that Harry had indeed just been in Hogsmeade finds all of his Zonko stuff that's fresh out of the shop. Harry says, Ron gave that to me ages ago. Um, He finds the blank map, and he's curious about what it says. Um, When Snape tries to, you know, use magic to get the map to, or whatever the paper is to reveal itself, the map insults Snape personally. (laughs) Um, Which is a very funny scene. Which is very funny. Uh, 
Lupin then comes by um, to visit and... Yeah, Snape asks Lupin to come and investigate the object. And so um, Lupin covers for Harry because, as we'll talk about, he obviously knows what it is, but he um, covers and says um, he doesn't know what's going on. Clearly, he just picked up a scrap of paper. Um, Yeah, Lupin says it looks like a Zonko's product that is designed to insult whoever tries to read it. Mm -hmm. Um, Snape says it's clearly dark magic and that he probably got it from the manufacturers directly, implying that Lupin somehow knew them or was maybe one of them. Um, Then when Lupin and Harry leave, Lupin tells Harry that he knows what the map is. He says that he can't have it back and that the map makers would have thought it was funny um, to lure Harry out of the school and that that's too dangerous to do right now. Um, Hermione then um, comes kind of popping out at the end and tells Harry and Ron that Buckbeak will be executed and that she's just heard. So I wanted to start out by talking a little bit about the title of this chapter. We haven't really done a deep dive into titles um, in the past, you know, book or so. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that it's actually really interesting. This is a really good title and it's also a little bit less... Um, it's Less a little clear. bit, yeah, more vague than some of the other ones. So yeah. this is, it's called Snape's Grudge. So what do we think the grudge is specifically? So there's, there's a lot of options. There's like a grudge against Harry, a grudge against James, maybe the whole group, the map makers. Yeah. What no, do we think this like first time reader thinks? Definitely. Here? I think, I think the implication for a first time reader is that at first you're supposed to think that it's Harry, but then the twist is that it's actually against James. Because at some point during their discussion, um, Snape calls Harry just as arrogant as his father, and Harry gets really upset, and he Mm. says, I know the truth, I know that my dad saved your life, and then Snape gets, like, really quietly angry. And he's like, you don't know anything about that, like, your father would have had me killed unless he got cold feet at the last second. Um, So, like, that's what the grudge is, Mm. I think, Mm -hmm. if you're a first-time reader. But now that we're looking back, yeah, there's a lot, like, more... There's a, there's a lot more possibilities yeah. this time around. And I think, um, yeah, like the, the one that you pointed out, Lupin, I think is another distinct possibility because we see Snape being very cold and upset towards Lupin this entire book. And we're kind of curious about mm-hmm. why that is. Um, and we don't yet know that Lupin was one of James's friends who was involved in the prank on Snape that almost got him killed. Um, but but it, the implication in this chapter, rereading it now, is that Snape does definitely seem to have a grudge against Lupin as well. Yeah, I think it's definitely tied in. Lupin is tied into this because we have seen, like you said, like how he has treated Lupin throughout this book um, and their interactions. And I think where the, specifically the word grudge kind of comes in is I think he's he's holding a grudge against the whole group and James and all that, but he's also like holding on to that grudge right now because he has to provide the potion for Lupin. So he yeah. has to do something for Lupin, which if he doesn't do correctly, will, you know, come back on him because they know that he, you know, can make that potion. Yeah. And so he doesn't really have a choice at this point because that whole thing is out in the open in terms of like at least him and Dumbledore. So if he wants to keep his job and, you know, not be basically just stay at the school, then he has to do that for somebody who he hates and was not nice to him. That's a good point. But I think it's actually um, representative of one of Snape's better qualities, which is that he is at the end of the day loyal and um he has honor it's Mm -hmm. a different kind of honor than i think most other characters have but like 
Dumbledore was very clear to Snape that Lupin was going to be teaching this year and that Dumbledore needed Snape to make him the Wolfsbane potion Mm -hmm. every month. Um, And Snape, to his credit, made it perfectly every month, despite not liking Lupin at Mm -hmm. all. Um, he never once erred, and it would have been very easy for him to, like, quote-unquote, accidentally mm-hmm. mess up um, and and have everyone know that Lupin was a werewolf. Instead, he kind of, like, lets it slip verbally at the end of the year. But nothing right. bad happens. No right. students are injured. Um, and it's it's really, like, I think to Snape's credit that he doesn't act on his, you know, baser impulses here and, and just, like, sabotage the potion. Um, that said, though, I think... Yeah, at the end of the day, Snape's grudge, my best guess would be that the author intended us to think that that was James. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then talking about the titles again, just more generally, I was, you know, this this title seems to be a very, um, although I guess it could be from Harry's perspective, but I think in some ways I usually think of the titles as being from Harry's perspective, but they also sometimes seem like they're coming from like an omniscient narrator sort of above this, um, which we do actually. So maybe they're coming from the narrator who we see like in the first chapter of the series, or we see maybe at one time later as well. We've talked about this, like the different perspectives. Yeah. I tend to think of it as being an omniscient perspective that names the chapters. Yeah. Um, cause a lot of the time I think it's kind of like tongue in cheek or making a play on words mm-hmm. like grim defeat, you know, et cetera. I don't think Harry is necessarily clever enough to come up with that. Um, but the author certainly is. And I think it's, I think it's not really like in universe consistent. I think it's just like the author is good at creating titles. <laughs> yeah, I mean? no, for sure. I think, I guess I think what, what's interesting about that title also with Snape's Grudge is that. I feel like usually, even if they're not from his perspective, they're usually things where Harry would, Harry would understand what that title meant by the ends of the events of the chapter. Yeah. You know, and this, I think this is one of those where I think you're right. He probably does understand that it's about James, but he doesn't understand the fuller context of. And he might not even really understand that it's James. I think if if you said, who does Snape have a grudge against? Yeah. I think he might say like me. I don't know why though. Yeah. Um, and we won't really understand until the end of this book, you know, what what Snape's grudge is actually about. Um, but by the end, we will have a better understanding of it. So next, let's check in with Neville, because I think this is kind of the most screen time that he gets in this book, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it'll be interesting to see, like, how his character has developed in the last year, really, and, like, where he's kind of at right now. Um so I think he's still, like, fairly incompetent, but not to the level that people perceive. Mm-hmm. He's being punished for perceived incompetence, but the more likely scenario is actually, in my opinion, that Crookshanks filched the list of passwords from right. his bedside table or something than, like, it fell out of Neville's pocket. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's having to deal with a lot right now. He is, yeah. He's having to deal with a lot. And, I mean, that's when you think about, like, what happens. Like, that's so much to put on a kid and to have McGonagall, you know, sort of ask that. Of course, she's also upset and trying to figure out what's going on. But for her to, like, kind of demand that he come forward and then shame him in front of yeah everyone, right when everyone's, you know, had just been celebrating and now they're scared and now they're upset. Like, putting all this on, like, a 12-year-old kid who, like was maybe careless and like yes shouldn't have written down passwords in the first place but was clearly just 
trying to do the best he could and basically saying like you could have gotten everyone killed like that's a <laughs> lot to put on someone you know yeah for sure and, and just because it didn't happen like that's he's probably feeling like just intense guilt and you know shame, shame and yeah. just really scared in general for the whole the whole situation so i feel bad for neville in this moment definitely um i think i think uh right now we're, we're not supposed to feel that much sympathy for him because we're, we're kind of supposed to be like oh this is all your fault but you know really it wasn't and i think by the end of the book we should probably go back and and feel some retroactive sympathy for neville um at the same time harry has a fairly long scene with neville where he's about to try to go to hogsmeade um and Neville, like, very genuinely wants to spend time with Harry because he's like, oh, like, we're in the same boat now. Like, I also don't get to go to Hogsmeade. And, like, you know, since you can't either, like, let's make the best of this. Let's hang out. And, like, you know, do you want to work on Snape's essay on vampires? Or, like, do you want to, like, you know, do something else? We can hang out in the common room. And Harry's like, oh, no, I don't want to hang out with you. Yeah, Sorry. it's because at first Harry's excuse is like, oh, I have to work on my vampire essay. And then Neville's like, great, I haven't started it. Like, we can do it together. Like, he's like, just like, come on, like, so innocent. And, and then like, Harry's like, yeah, friends. wait, I forgot I finished it last night. And Neville's like, oh, great, you can help me. Yeah. I don't understand. And Harry's like, oh, um, no, I got to, I left it in the library. I got to go, I got to go get it. Bye, Neville. And then it's he's just, just like, Oh man, it's I like I get it because Harry's like I really want to go to Hogsmeade and hang out with Ron, um, but man, like it sucks. It's very tactless, and um, I I, f- I feel that Harry could have been a better friend to him at this juncture. It's true, and like I guess you know this is not like explicitly written, but you know Harry also could be kind of like I don't really care about you, Neville, because you like almost like what like if he's like blaming Maybe. any of that. I don't think I don't think it does, comes across that way though. I think it's more just like in, indifference. Yeah. And it's like, why are you distracting me when I like need to go to Hogsmeade? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. We just we just feel bad for Neville right now, yeah. and like he's just been he's just kind of caught up in things that he doesn't know about, and he's just trying to do his best at any any given point. Definitely. So I want to talk about the scene with Hagrid because I kind of forgot about this scene to be honest, and. I love it because Hagrid is so emotionally in tune. Hagrid's, like, a really good, um, you know, like, mentor parenting scene, like you Parent said. figure, yeah. But he's also, you know, we know that Hagrid loves the three of them. But, you know, he's sort of been, like, you know, I don't know if I would say aligned with Harry. But, like, it seems like he and Harry obviously have a special relationship. But you can see, especially in this moment, like, you know, he really cares about all three of them and he does have a special connection with Hermione and yeah. I think that that you know becomes more clear later on too but he is calling them down there to say like I know all this shit is going on but Hermione is not doing well and they've picked we've talked about this almost every chapter like Harry yeah. and Ron have picked up on something's not really right with Hermione but they were either so mad at her or just like distracted by other things that they didn't really you know, investigate it or care that much. And Hagrid's like, you guys have to basically deal with this. And I think that he also might recognize a little bit what she's going through because he has also had secrets at the school um, and has had to kind of deal with things alone that are scary. That's a good point. I wonder if maybe that's why he is making himself more available to Hermione or, or whether she feels that he understands her better than the other two or something like that. Because he, I think Hagrid definitely has, like, 
um, you know, like paternal instincts in a way, like she is looking out for them in sort of a motherly way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he also kind of like wants to look out for all three of them in, in a fatherly way, um, or a motherly way. I mean, it's basically the same, uh, for Hagrid, but I wonder if, if Hermione feels some like kinship with him in that way. I think Hagrid definitely senses that, you know, her intentions have always been good and that, you know, Harry and Ron are, are welcome to be upset with her for the loss of the firebolt or mm-hmm. for the loss of scabbers or whatever. But he's like, you guys can be upset with her. That's fine. But like, get over it. You don't abandon her. In this. And forgive her and move on. Well, like, also, you can't hold on to yeah. this anger forever. And it, like, she's really suffering right now. Well, and I think, and I don't know if we made this clear, but I think that Hagrid does know about the time turner because I think that all her professors have to know. I don't actually. I'm going to disagree with you on that. Really? I think that only people who are like need to know are are in on it, and I don't think that's professors. I think that's basically like McGonagall, Dumbledore, um, probably just them and the Ministry of Magic. Probably Mm. no one else because we don't really get any hints that professors have been. Because they, from their perspective, her. she's just coming to their class. Yeah, I mean, one wonders whether, like, the Hogwarts scheduling system makes any sense at all. Because, right. like, no one seems to have noticed that Hermione is in multiple classes at once, except, like, Ron occasionally. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but it doesn't seem like any of the professors know. I don't know. I kind of want to, like, in my head, I either want to assume that he knows or that she has actually confided in him. That's also possible. Because I think that she is so... Like, I could see her doing that because because of that thing where she knows that Hagrid can keep a secret. And she knows that Hagrid um, has held secrets at school. And she's also been working with him with the Buckbeak situation, which we'll get to. And so I think that, you know, they're kind of trying to do a lot of things under the table right now. And I think she may have confided in him. About the time turner, or maybe not explicitly that, but that something's going on where she is, like, really, she's using some magic that's tiring her out a lot. Yeah, I, I think he definitely senses that something is wrong besides all of the, like, friendship drama. I don't know if he's pinpointed, like, exactly what it is, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he basically, at its core, he recognizes that she's going through some rough times. Right. Not not to <laughs> pun not intended, but uh, you know, like I, I think I think that's really the crux of this is that he's trying to say like, all right, boys, like I get it, you're upset with her, that's okay, but mm-hmm. she really needs your support right now. This is bigger than just like your rat, Ron. Sorry, right. but like it is right. And he's not even like they they thought he was you know asking like oh like Ron are you okay like Sirius Black just attacked you? No, Hagrid knows everything is fine. He's yeah. heard the story. He, and then and then they're like, oh, maybe it's about Buckbeak. And he's like, no, no, no. Hermione's got Buckbeak. Like, I'm not, I don't need to bother you guys with that. Like, I know yeah. you've got your own lives to live. I'm not going to, like, put my burdens on you. But, like, this is your burden. And this is your life. This yeah. is what you need to do is support your friend. Yeah. So, Hagrid's the best. What a good, what a good counselor. Yeah. We can, <laughs> we can move on from that now. Um, um, yeah. The, the, um, the Harry and Snape scene, I think, definitely I want to spend some time on because... Um, I, I get really frustrated reading this part because Harry has not one, but two insanely powerful magic items now that he just like, doesn't really use. Yeah. So you, you have an idea about if Harry were smart, what he would have done. Yeah. So Harry's got the invisibility cloak that nobody can see through. 
Harry's got a map that tells him the exact location of every single person in the castle. <laughs> so when he's coming back to the castle, let's see, leave the cloak on, A, and then B, just like keep track of that little Severus Snape dot. And when it's nearby you, just like don't come out. Mm-hmm. And when it's not nearby you anymore, go ahead and go back up to Gryffindor Tower, feed Neville a story about like getting sidetracked on your way to the library or something. Um, and then, like, wash the mud off your shoes. And then you're good. Mm-hmm. But and instead, keep your cloak with you. Don't leave it in the right, passageway. Right. Keep the cloak on the whole time until yeah. you get to the tower. Instead, uh, Harry takes the cloak off, puts it at the bottom of the ramp, um, keeps the map with him, wipes it, so he does one smart thing, um, and then comes out right into the waiting arms of Snape, who had just seen him in that same room, like, three hours ago. Mm-hmm. And, like, was very suspicious about that room, right? So... Not a lot He's of good not. decisions yeah. being made here. I think, like, Harry honestly kind of deserves to lose both of those items. And, and the reason for that, I think, really, is not just that Harry is dumb, but because Rowling needed Harry to lose access to both of those things mm-hmm. in order for the plot to move forward, which is not the best, but... And, I mean, he yeah. is obviously very, like, sort of panicked and in a stressful moment um, leaving the scene mm-hmm. where he's just been, like, revealed. But I do think that, in reality, hopefully he would have had... A little bit more time and while he's coming back to think about it but um besides how he gets there i think that um the scene is really interesting um especially because of when lupin arrives with his behavior because you know so lupin protects harry from snape again which he's done multiple times so far in this book so that is another thing adding to the dynamic yeah. of where we can see that no matter what the grudge exactly refers to, like, Lupin is involved because he is... If the grudge is just about Harry, even, Lupin is clearly siding with Harry in a way that is adding to Snape's anger with him. Yeah, and and if you're the reader, you're like, wait, why? You're you're kind of, like, agreeing with Harry right now. Harry has no idea why Lupin is taking his side in Mm -hmm. this. Harry's like... There's no reason for him to. The reader should also be very confused. Like, why did Lupin just intervene on Harry's behalf? Like, clearly he's lying. And so it's we know that it's only because he knows he has knowledge of the map. And that's because he knows when he hear, when he knows that it has insulted Snape, that that's what the, the paper has done. Right. He knows what it is. So that's well, what he knows, makes him Yeah, because he can read the paper and it says Messrs. Moody, mm-hmm. etc., you know, um, and he wrote one of those insults personally. Right. So, uh, <laughs> so he gets that. He gets it. Um, and he's very afraid of Snape having it. He does not want Snape to have it. Yes. He understands that eventually Snape would figure out what it was and who was responsible for making it, most likely. Um, so he knows that in this situation, he has to do two things. He has to get this, the map away from Snape without revealing what it is and ideally keep Harry out of punishment as well. Right, and I think it's interesting that um, also what what Snape, I mean, what Lupin says um, to Harry about the mapmakers would have wanted you to, thought it would be fun for you to go get you out of the castle, but that's very right. dangerous. Um, it's also sort of a reflection on his younger self, which I do think that he's doing kind of throughout this book and even and in this scene of mm-hmm. like, of course, like, he doesn't like Snape, and he loves his former friends and everything, but he is also realizing, like, we were very stupid, we were very reckless, yeah. and at this point, he also doesn't know the truth about Sirius, and he's feeling, I think, in some ways guilty for the map being 
out and about because he is thinking that this is dangerous and that this could have been something that Sirius either could use or that could get Harry in trouble. Right. Yeah. So I think he keeps the map for that reason because he wants to keep an eye on whether Sirius is actually or how Sirius is actually hitting in, etc. Um, I also think this book is probably at least this chapter and definitely like all the ending chapters um, for Lupin. This is kind of like a reflection on his time at school. And he's like thinking about like how stupid they all were back then really. Mm-hmm. And like trying to grow past it. And, and part of the crux of the, um, the, the climax of this book is that um, whereas Lupin and Sirius can reconcile with their pasts and get over it, um, but Snape can't. Mm-hmm. And that's really the problem. And that's why all this like bad shit goes down at the end mm-hmm. um, is that Snape can't get over his prejudice against Sirius because Sirius tried to kill him once. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that he can't get past that is the reason why he's insistent on taking Sirius in, even though the evidence now points to Peter being the culprit. Right. And, right, and we'll obviously talk a lot more about this, but I do think that that, that there is, like, a tension here where I feel like, for me, in this book, almost more than even in the later books, when there's more things revealed, makes me feel for Snape, especially on a read-through of, like, uh, after having read through multiple times the series. I think, yes, like, uh, we know that Snape makes a, a grave mistake and he probably realizes that the evidence does not point to Sirius by the end, but I think based on everything in this chapter and then what we find out, like, Snape has a right to be angry. Snape has a right to be upset. Yeah, maybe he shouldn't have turned him in. But, you know, Snape has kind of gotten a shit deal in this. Sure. And yeah. I, I mean, feel... I don't think anyone would argue that he's had a good life, but he's made a lot of the beds that he's had to sleep in. It's true. It's true. And he makes mistakes. But I do think that, honestly, this book is one of the most interesting for Snape's character. And... um is one where I think, especially on this read-through, I'm thinking about all of the adults, like Snape, Lupin, Sirius, Wormtail. I'm thinking about all of them a little bit more than I'm thinking about the younger kids and, like, what they must be kind of working through. I think one of the interesting things about this book is that with the exception of Half-Blood Prince, where Snape is the villain, but it's all a red herring anyway, um, Snape is the most like a villain in this book. Mm Mm-hmm than in any of the others like let, let's ignore sorcerer's stone because it's a very simplistic story and like i think if unless you're a first-time reader you're gonna know that it's not snape like pretty early on but like the way that snape behaves in this book it's not like he is the antagonist of the story mm-hmm. but he is acting in like a villainous manner towards the characters yeah he's kind of like menacing and he looms in the background of every scene much yeah, more than he does him. um in goblet of fire say or in order of the phoenix um where there's like much larger and and more um coherent threats in this book there really isn't like a um looming character besides Sirius black and then that ends up all being complete farce Right, it's true. He is, and I mean, we'll talk, we have talked and we'll talk more about how this book, like, this is where things get dark, and I I would argue that they ramp up, it's a pretty steep ramp up in this book towards how dark they get. Um, Yeah, and I I think that'll be really interesting to see because it it happens so fast. I think there's essentially one chapter um, 
where uh, Buckbeak gets quote unquote executed. They find Scabbers, and then they like it's revealed that like um, uh, that the the dog is Sirius Black, and that Lupin's a werewolf. Like that all happens in one chapter. Mm-hmm. Basically, um, and then like two two chapters later, um, they like go back in time and do it all over again, um, and then the story's resolved. But like basically, it, it's so fast, and it's not like in, um, say, Chamber of Secrets where there's like chapters and chapters and chapters of like Lead up. bad stuff's horror, happening, like yeah. people are getting petrified. There's all this like dramatic tension and horror elements. Here it's just kind of like it's a regular school year, except like Sirius Black is stalking people. Mm-hmm. But this um, is definitely more like. <laughs> I would say, like, yeah, Chamber of Secrets, we, like, is more, like, horror movie, and mm-hmm. this is more, like, murder mystery. Yeah, that's like, a good way there's, like, thriller, like, sort of, there's a serial killer on the loose type situation. Right, um, right. And we're, we're all, like, wondering, like, why he hasn't killed anybody. Yeah. Kind of. Um, so it's yeah. a different feeling, but it feels, it feels a little bit, like, scarier because it feels, like, more real. Because also, like, this book we don't have Voldemort is like the only book where Voldemort is not appearing in any form. You know, Wormtail is like there, but he's not in any way attached to Voldemort at this point. Right. Um, So I think that this book in some ways feels the most like almost realistic because it's, there's not a lot of like, I mean, it's all magic, but it's not, I I feel like Voldemort (laughs) is like a supernatural element that this is all like, wizards but like humans yeah no you're absolutely right this is this is the book where the villains are people Mm -hmm. as opposed to like yeah like undead supernatural snake people (laughs) right Um, (laughs) and every other every other single book like even in chamber of secrets where we thought it was somebody else it actually was voldemort the whole time you know even in um uh order the phoenix Mm -hmm. like even though unbridge is the the villain that's right in your face the whole time Voldemort is behind the scenes, like, pulling Harry's strings, getting him to fall into his trap. Um, Yeah, so every book, Voldemort is the guy behind it, except this one. Yeah, and now, and this is, I I think it's a really, I mean, we're kind of talking more about the book in general, but I think that's okay, because... It's our 50th episode, give us this one. Give us this one, but I think this (laughs) this chapter also is, like, kind of setting up a lot of things, and um, I think that this book, in general, is written so well because... It is kind of just, like, more of a behind-the-scenes book of, like, things happening to move the plot along. Basically, things happening to move Harry's plot along, but also to move the plot along of Voldemort to get his servant back, to bring him back to his body. Like, all of that is kind of being set up in this, like, long game here. And I think that it could be, you know... Oh, like the whatever movie in the middle that's like boring because there's not a lot going on because you're just kind of trying to get to the next action. But it's made so good because there's all this interpersonal drama and like fear. Of and incidentally, that are it's going actually on. the best movie of the series. Don't at me. No, well, but um, we agree. Um, yeah, no, I think uh, especially like if you compare it to the plots of the first two books, um, which are great self-contained stories. Um, this one is definitely not a standalone story, I don't think. No. I, I think it definitely needs to be part of a larger narrative because the stakes are a lot... Well, they're not lower, but yeah, I mean, they don't have global significance in the same way. It's it's a smaller scale story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it works better as part of a larger narrative. 
but but like if you compare it to Chamber of Secrets, the only important thing that happens in Chamber of Secrets overall um, is that Harry hands Dumbledore the diary. That's it. Right. The only thing that happens in uh, the first one is that um, Dumbledore tells Harry that his mother died to save him. That's it. Right. And then Harry <laughs> actually encounters... Well, I mean, you're right. They're in the grand scheme of the story... Like, in, its, in terms of its importance to the series. Yeah, to the series. Um, this but book this book has a ton lot. of importance. It does, and the character development in this book, which we have been talking about, but, like, the fact that Lupin... You know, Lupin is such a great character in general, and... This this book is really about him in a lot of ways. Like it could yeah. be written from his perspective. Um, I would read that book. And it's a little kind of about Sirius. It's more introducing Sirius. I would say like we don't get a lot of Sirius until later. But no. But those are some of my favorite chapters in the whole series. Yeah. Because I just love Sirius as a character so much. Yeah. So but so we're introducing him, who obviously is a huge character. Lupin is a huge character. We're moving along. Snape's story much more, who is a huge character, and, um, you know, introducing Wormtail. Like, those kinds of things that are happening um, are really big in terms of, yeah, character development and also just understanding, like, sort of the politics of, like, all of this. Like, in terms of, like, who is, what are the friend groups, what are the dramas, Mm -hmm. what, how does Harry's parents and the past relate to the present and how all of this is like very emotional and not just like bad guys versus good guys, but much more complicated than that. Like, I think that's, I think this book is where we get the idea of like villains are not always 100% villains and vice versa. People have complex motivations. That's, I think that's, if I were going to write like a book report on this, my thesis would be that like, this is where Rowling introduces the concept of, like, gray morality. Mm-hmm. That, you know, first two books are very black and white. You know, good people are saviors, bad people try to kill people. Mm-hmm. This book is kind of like, you know, there are such things as cowards. And, like, sometimes what a coward wants to do is whatever is easiest. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means, kill, like, betraying your friends and blowing up a whole street full of people. <laughs> um, sometimes it doesn't, but, you know, sometimes it does. And, yeah. and Peter ultimately is a coward. He's not evil, and, like, no. he wants to kill people. He just wanted the biggest bully on the playground to be his protector. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a while, that was James and Sirius. And then for a while, it was Voldemort. Right. Um, yeah. So we'll talk. We're getting... Now we're, we're really yeah. spiraling, but... Um, <laughs> but this is really cool stuff. Uh, so let's bring it back. Mm-hmm. Um, so the chapter ends with a very, like, emotionally weird scene where Lupin saves Harry and then Ron bursts in and saves Harry um, and Harry's very confused, and Lupin's like, okay, I have to take the map now. And then Hermione comes up, and Ron and Harry are like, oh, you're going to rub it in? And Hermione's, like, really upset, and she's like, Hagrid lost the case. Buckbeak's going to be executed. Mm-hmm. So it's like a really sharp one-two punch in the reader's gut, and I remember reading this for the first time and just feeling my heart wrench mm-hmm. at seeing those words on the page, and then I immediately read the next chapter, and there's the tear-stained letter from Hagrid that he sends Hermione, and it's just heartbreaking. Um, But, like, so this is another piece of the Rowling web of distractions. Mm -hmm. So she's trying to get us not to think about what just happened. Right. So why? What? So what is it that she's trying to get us not to think about? Well, she's trying to get us not to think about what's going on with Lupin and... Why he took the map, why he saved Harry, like, basically that whole situation of, like, 
trying to put more of the pieces together. Um, and that maybe he was one of the manufacturers that he was talking about, or... Yeah, because, I mean, what, well, one thing we didn't talk a ton about is, like, what do we think that Snape thinks or suspects at this point? Right. I think that he does suspect in a very vague way that Lupin knows about this or, like, is behind it, but he... I don't think that he really has any evidence at this point. Do you think he knew that they were in a Magi at all? Well, he knows Lupin's a werewolf. I... I... I think he must have he must known have they known. were in a Magi um, because of the time that James saved him. So he might be putting, yeah, so I think he is, if he hasn't put it together right now, he will be putting it together, like, later today about who Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs are. Probably pretty soon, I would imagine. Um, and that may just compound his grudge against them that... That he had this map and that Lupin kind of, like, prevented him from getting access to evidence that would have implicated them or something. So we sort of need this interruption for, like, Harry's distraction, Ron's distraction, and everyone. But we also need it so that uh, Snape and Lupin kind of, like, can't continue their situations because, because that they could get to a point where more things are revealed if the, like, kind of interruption hasn't happened. Well, cheers. 50 episodes. I think it's been a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to doing many more with you. Um, and I hope that you all have enjoyed listening to them. Thank you all for listening to Harry Podcast and Snape's Grudge. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter. If you have thoughts or questions about anything we've discussed today, especially our long rambling tangent about the book in general and gray morality and interesting character decisions, please email us at contact at theharrypodcast.com. You can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at www.theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for next time when we fly through Chapter 15, the Quidditch Final. I'm Madeline. And I'm David. And we'll see you in the next 50 episodes of the Harry Podcast. Knox.